Hey, it's Eric Newcomer. Welcome to Cerebral Valley on uh, Newcomer. Back with me are Max Child and James Wilsterman, the co-founders of Volley. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Hey, happy to be here. Hey, Eric. Hey. All right. This week, we are talking about what we're calling the AI personal stack or <laughs> who? how do we actually use AI in our real lives? I've got... Uh, in the second half of this episode, Joshua Browder, the CEO of Do Not Pay, who got in trouble for <laughs> trying to use AI to act as a lawyer. He got his start uh, trying to get out of uh, parking tickets uh, that he increasingly has automated. And now he's a chat GPT addict building a company around using foundation models and language models to fight back against companies like Comcast and your... <laughs> mega corporate gym i think equinox is a big target of his just helping people <laughs> get out of the bill their bills so that's a fun conversation from someone who's really trying to suck the marrow out of ai and get everything he can out of it uh so yeah excited to talk to you guys about how how we're using ai how we're seeing people actually use it because you know in silicon valley uh people's expectations hopes and dreams can get ahead of them we can all live in the world of intuitions as we did in the last episode where it's like what could be possible where could we take this you know it's an optimistic sort of place uh and this episode is going to try and ground us in how are we using it are people using it uh so so that's the question um which of us who thinks they use AI the most? I honestly would not put myself super, super high on this list. I I'm, guess probably I guess me. James. I'm going to go yeah. James. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. There we go. Cool. I got um, the same guess here. James, given that we believe that you probably use it the most, and I think you had an exciting AI-driven experience today, how are you using AI in your life? That is very true. I commuted today in a Waymo, which was... My first time in a Waymo, I've taken a few cruises around uh, San Francisco. I think that that those self-driving car experiences really rank at the maybe the pinnacle to me of excitement of using AI. Um, I, I would say GPT, ChatGPT is you know very very useful, and I, I use it all, a lot. But I feel like the visceral excitement of riding in a self-driving vehicle and just taking that to work is something that I have have an experience elsewhere could, with AI. Could you tell the difference between Cruise and Waymo? Was there a spiritual, or is it just how the <laughs> interior of the car feels? Or I, I guess I do think of it as, I don't want to like overlearn, you know, from a few anecdotes of um, riding in, in these vehicles, but I do feel like there is a bit of a, I feel like the Waymo felt a little bit more natural, a little bit less cautious, hmm. but not in a, scary way i feel like cruise is very cautious Famously driver cautious. Yeah, just, yeah yeah um and neither maybe, of, maybe no sl- humans besides you right like no driver correct and and interesting in the waymo is i was able to sit in the front seat you're not able to do that in a cruise and uh that was it that alone was a pretty amazing experience because I was I just like could turn left and there was nobody there and um you know I could see the whole road and see see exactly what was happening um so I feel like I enjoyed the Waymo experience a lot today and I I think being able to ride up front um 
having it feel like more human in some sense that it just kind of was relaxing that I felt like I, I wasn't I wasn't like wasting time by taking a Waymo to work because um, you know it, it drove pretty naturally uh, and yeah. yeah it was an amazing experience and you know the Waymo CEO co-CEO uh, Dimitri is speaking at Cerebral Valley I think we will have announced that by the time this podcast comes out uh, yes but so very excited to hear more about very excited that. as well um, other, other, other other uses of AI. Yeah. Um, so definitely I've already talked on this podcast about using chat GPT for just creative kind of brainstorming and exploration. I think that it's very effective at creating kind of internal documentation or early drafts of it, uh, or getting you started on that, uh, at work. Um, and then I also think that the code side is like really, really important here. A lot of all the engineers are using chat GPT in their day-to-day -day experience uh, coding at Volley. And what that looks like is pretty interesting because it's primarily kind of bouncing between your IDE and- um, IDE? Your- uh, Independ Independent Development Environment? In Integra integrated. 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 Integrated Development Environment. Where you code, basically. Um, and bouncing between that and uh, sort of ChatGPT where you might ask for an architectural advice or even paste code in or ask for some code. And it used to be you Google Stack Overflow, well, blah, 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 and they'd copy and paste it there. Exactly, right. and it's it's a really similar experience to when I was learning to code. And I think what is interesting is a lot of even more junior developers are the, mo the most eager to kind of explore here and just use ChatGPT because they want to learn quickly and you know they don't, they were gonna stack, Google it anyway from Stack Overflow, so. Um, I think that is a huge change in how especially junior software developers are, are working today. And obviously the promise there is like integrated code environments where. Yeah. And there is a startup um, called Cursor that has a integrated IDE. And are I know you guys GitHub, paying for that? No, we're not doing it. We're not using any anything like that other than uh, GitHub Copilot, which is, I think, you know, I use GitHub Copilot. It essentially is autocomplete for code and i would say it's useful but not revolutionary not game changing it maybe improves your kind of speed by you know five percent or something anything else i actually will give you another one which i think is really interesting i am a new father i had a newborn um born about a month ago and congratulations thank you and I find ChatGPT to be really incredible as a parenting assistant, just <laughs> being able to ask questions like, when should I expect my baby to um, be able to see certain distances, right? And I could Google mm. that and, and I'd get different sources and I, you know, it would be um, you know, something I could research, but I basically don't need like a precise answer and, and ChatGPT is able to give me, hey, here's how, the, here's how this might look over the next month two months six hmm. months right um that's just really convenient to be able to ask a question in open-ended natural language like that all right max what about you how are you using i mean a lot right less now? than james so i'll move through right. this in a hurry uh <laughs> i would say one i occasionally have it right like memos or long-form emails for volley but again i would say 
only in the case where I'm okay if it's like B plus quality output because if it really has to be an A or an A plus, I feel like I have to do it myself. And then I dictate like texts and emails and messages like quite a lot. Like I hmm. um I would You're say like an old man. Yeah, I'm like an old man. I mean, I'm you know I have a kid too. I'm I'm in my 30s, so that's old enough. Uh, yeah, I would say at home I dictate a lot of texts and messages into my phone, and I now think that like Apple's native dictation is like you know, 98% accurate or whatever you want to call it. And, and if I want to dictate a couple of How do you actually I'll do, do it? it, sir? You what just is... hit the little microphone button in the bottom right of the keyboard and then you just start talking right away. Um, and it turns it into text? Turns into text. It's pretty fast and it's pretty good. Um, so I do that a lot. Um, other than yet that, I mean, yeah, I, I sometimes use like um, some of those image generators for, for internal, you know, slide decks, but that's usually almost as like a joke because they're sometimes hilarious. So um I mean, that's kind of it. I am playing with uh, some of these newer apps that are based around image generation. Like, I think we talked about Can of Soup, which is like a very hot YC company that just came out that yeah. is, is basically like Instagram for image generated content. And so every day they send you a push notification that says like, Max, riding a giant chicken, like in a cowboy hat or something. And then you click on it and it generates a photo of you, you know, riding, riding a giant chicken on a cowboy hat or uh, wearing a cowboy hat. And, you know, but do you use that every day? Did you use that? I yesterday? clicked on that. I don't think I'm like a daily user, but I've used that a couple times a week because they're pretty good at sending you prompts that just sound funny. Like, and so I click on it, like maybe one to two out of seven, basically. And I don't really use it for the Instagram functionality of like looking at other people's because I don't really care like what other people look like on top of a giant chicken. Like <laughs> like everyone, I'm very a selfish person. And so, um, yeah, like, but that use case of just sending you a prompt every day and then just you click on it and a push notification opens right up to generating something from that prompt is a fairly compelling like use case. Uh, I don't know how you build a social network out of it, but that part has been working on me a little bit. Eric. How do yeah, you Eric. What do you, Eric? <laughs> so, Eric, uh, how do you use AI in your in your daily life? Um, I mean, I'm probably the most disillusioned with ChatGPT. I mean, credit credit to the AI that in the beginning, when when image generation was new, I used some of it to illustrate my newsletter, which is not you know that's significant. It it would probably cost a lot. You know, I I get access to Getty images through. Uh, Substack, so I don't have to agonize about the price of images, but you know, there's meaningful value to that, and like, it's a big editorial decision to decide to put it out. Though I do think there was a period where, like, where the aesthetic of AI was cool, and sort of, even if it was bad, it was showing that you were sort of you were doing sort of AI stuff, and eventually, obviously, the images need to stand on their own and be great and. I partially I just need to be better at prompting and I think I'm just not like expert level and it's so it's not worth the energy to mm -hmm. use it. I've found ChatGPT to be very successful in proofreading. Uh the most impressive experience being that inputted a story and it had a, it told me that a million was supposed to be a billion, which was like, okay, wow, that's like That's a good, good. fix. That was yeah. great. Yeah, that would yeah. have been like that's hard to catch. I think it's check It'll catch like internal misspelling errors, you know, in proper nouns. You know, obviously getting names right is always important. It's good at, yeah, it'll catch, it catches like double word typos pretty well. So I think it's always useful putting mm -hmm. that in. Mm -hmm. It can be good about directing you towards active voice. But I feel like as soon as you start asking 
for subjective advice, it gets pretty bad. And like, I don't, you know. To clarify, is that is that three point five that you're using? No, 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 not four. No, only four. I find three point okay. five terrible. Like I, I so <laughs> I thought you I said pay, you gave was, up on paying for paying, it. Though. I was paying, and then I gave up. So I just. Re- Return to relying on humans to proofread, but now <laughs> because it. we're recording it. So I did give it up, like partially just frustration that like I perceived it to be getting worse, though I'm not sure what I actually think on that front. Um, and and I, I, I tried using web plugins and I actually found them like a poor experience. So yeah, it's very um, slow. Like, did you ever try the web browser plugin? Right. It takes, they, like, they, they just yeah. added their own. Like, so okay. originally they had an outside one and I think now they have their own. Mm. Um, it's still, it feels like it relies on like one page and then. I agree. It, it's, yeah. it's not very effective because it's essentially going to Bing and Googling whatever you said. Bing. Bing, right. and then please, I think. Sorry. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, my God. Poor Microsoft. Poor, uh, poor Microsoft. You go to Bing Binging. some things. Yeah. yeah. Binging your prompt and then <laughs> essentially um, uh, just clicking on maybe one or two links and right. somehow using that, on that LLM, that text in the LLM process, that, that just doesn't seem very productive right now. I don't I hope they can get better at that. I mean, I, I've said, you know... Changed my vows and made like a line in active voice, which was minor, but sort of funny that they will forever have been impacted by ChatGPT. <laughs> I, I generally find it in writing to be like a siren song in that it feels so easy. And when I'm feeling lazy, it's like this will generate text. But I honestly think it's like a bad starting point in that it's so off. Like I think I created a job posting with ChatGPT and we haven't hired him. <laughs> we haven't heard that. Person. I, mean, I don't know. I blame ChatGPT. Nobody. Like, <laughs> somebody just told me I need to like chill it out. It's a little, you know, like uh, so. I'm gonna have a human rework that. I mean, I do, but it's good at like things that appear, which is why I'm calling it a siren song. Like it appears good. Like it's like, oh, that's what a job posting looks like. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always feel like it's sort of thought through on every piece of it. Have you tried? pasting in an article of yours, like a draft, and asking ChatGPT, hey, is there anything I'm missing? What questions yeah. will the reader ask uh, that is Yeah, is that's confusing? where I, I mean, I, 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 you know, even for this show, I put in, and it has been helpful prepping for the show, like I put in our outlines and then said, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, it was helpful sort of filling in timelines and coming up with like papers that I think we referenced in the first episode. But I, I don't think it's really achieved the mirror my style sort of thing and give me it. I feel like it doesn't adhere to my style enough, which is really frustrating given how much of my writing is online. That it's, I'm like Eric Newcomer, a public figure who's written here XYBC plays. <laughs> like it doesn't really learn that much off of it. And, you know, even when I give it a lot of text to prompt, I don't feel like it really gets my style very well. And I do think overall, yeah, I guess I haven't been critical enough so far in this podcast of how much I find the writing and thinking style to be not not there. Like, it, I mean, again, I'm open to the idea that there are prompts that have to fix it. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> more more negative than I've been on AI, but I just I feel like the threat to writing. Um, you know, I believe it if it gets like you know the next ver- if the improvement 
from to the next version is as great as it was from 3.5, I'm still open to the idea that it becomes a great writer. But I think it's great at writing poems and like more formulaic stuff. Like it's great at rhymes. Like I feel like I've, you know, come up with like funny, like here's the history of me and my wife, like write a poem. But, but it, you know, they're, they're sort of gimmicks. Well, going back to the kind of integration into the coding environment idea, do you think, have you tried any tools like that for writing? I know there's a bunch. Like writing specific to... ones? I, you know, pilots, I know the yeah. guys that, the guy who's doing Lex, he was sort of an ex substack or from the newsletter every, I need to, I haven't used his yet. Have you guys, have either of you used any writing assistant ones? No. I haven't used Tome either, to be honest, which I want to uh, try. I use Tome, yeah. What do you think of it? it not great. <laughs> Tome is, oh, yes. <laughs> Didn't you, which one of you interviewed him? You interviewed <laughs> him last time, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I just think that. Tome okay, is the PowerPoint. To, to, uh, to give the generous, yeah, the generous interpretation. I mean, so it's basically Keynote or PowerPoint, but with, with AI generation as the core creation mechanism. Um I mean, it, it was impressive demo. I think it felt like a very cool demo for, again, I mean, I, I think it, it was more of the middle school, high school level of output, not the, even the college level of, of quality. And so if I were like in sixth grade and I needed to make like a book report about like Yosemite National Park or something, I think it's like a killer use case. Um, for the record, that is what the CEO basically said was like the core use case was like homework and, and such. So, you know, not to give him a hard time, but as like a professional you know, slide deck creation tool. It was really not there. Like what was, yeah. what was missing, I guess. I would say to come back to this text generation being the big issue, like the content on the slides was really, really kind of empty and banal. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like, like it was the most sort of vague, like tautological bullet points, like in the slide deck. And then and then it was putting in generated artwork, right? Which again, I used this like four or five months ago. So it was like pre the last two generations of mid journey or whatever, but the AI generated artwork was like really bad in like March and April. Uh, and so you were like, well, I could never use this in a real presentation. And so at some point it was sort of like the only thing this tool did for me was like make 10 slides and like put essentially bullet points that I'm gonna have to rewrite on them. And so it was like, I could do this by copy pasting slides in, in a normal presentation you know framework and that's what i would and have. in some cases yeah. having a starting point yeah. can be helpful but in other cases it just sort of constrains your thinking unnecessarily yeah i mean yeah I, even if it doesn't constrain my thinking to your point it's sort of a siren song where i like i'm like oh cool someone else is gonna make my slide deck and then they make it <laughs> slide deck and i'm like okay well i can use about 10 percent of this so I'm not really sure why I did that. <laughs> I do think it's good. It's good at cutting things. Like, you know, I think when people are over long and you put a lot of text in it, it can all often strip away uh, useless stuff. Sort of the summarization use case or. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm very excited about, again, I think it's a great, and we've sort of centered on this. It's great knowledge delivery tool, like souped up sort of Google experience where Google was yeah. moving towards giving you the answer when you searched instead of directing you to a link like this, like James was talking about with his child. Like, I feel like it's great at sort of quick, like I wish there was like a likely accurate score because I, it does feel <laughs> like what if one out of every 10 of these is just like, it's hallucinating and just making shit up. Uh, 
I'm de- I feel like humans, including myself, I'm willing my to daughter, accept. My daughter's in trouble is what you're saying. I know, but I, we're willing to accept like, oh, it's wrong 10% of the time. That's better than a lot of people. And, but then you just treat it. You don't really know which ones were wrong, you know, so until we get right. burned. Um, yeah, the confidence score would be helpful. Yeah. Right. I definitely have not never asked GPT for help with my daughter because <laughs> to your point, wow. like if I'm like playing Russian roulette, where it's like, <laughs> oh, like, like one out of 10 of these is just wrong. And I'm going to like take that away from my child care. It's like not great. Not a good, not a good idea. I mean, I like to think that I have some higher level filter of if it tells me to do something insane, I won't. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's pretty good at plausible bullshit, though. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's it's really True. good at making wrong things sound plausible. All right, let's uh, get out of our uh, narcissism and think about how other people are using it. What, I mean, Max, I think you've made it clear, like, students are the answer. Students are using this the most, and we you can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, and I totally agree. I think we all agree on that. But, yeah, what professions do you think are using this the most what types of people and then we'll we'll go from there and sort of what we think who will be using it soon it's pretty clear if you look at educational research that private tutoring is like the best possible thing you can do for learning in almost any context like one-on-one tutoring in like every research study that it's ever been put to the test just absolutely destroys like the classroom environment or self-directed reading or you know yada 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 what any any sort of way you can think of to sort of teach people like one-on-one private tutoring just kills for obvious reasons i mean right you get personalized you know follow-up feedback custom lessons all that good stuff so you have to imagine you know if you could automate to some degree the learning process using you know a generative AI tool, um, whether or not that replaces teachers or that's just something teachers can use as leverage to really provide personalized feedback and lesson plans and and instruction to children. I just think that um, to come back to my initial analogy around this being like the industrial revolution for the mind, I really think we could see like insane gains in the quality of education over the next decade or so. Which is not, I think, with... the intuition that a lot of people have. It's like, oh, it's helping them cheat. They're <laughs> unplugging their brains. I think right. it's good if they're, if the full experience is like interacting with the AI and going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, you know, if the AI is set up to actually instruct so it knows when to be withholding and not just like give every answer, that feels very powerful. But I do yeah. think the threat of uh, it's easy to pretend to learn is like a real one. And, Mm-hmm. I, I'm open to it going either way. I don't know. I mean, this yeah. is sort of the Wally. You know, like are people just going to be like laying back as the machine sort of take I mean, over? But I think that might be slightly over-indexing on like higher education, right? I think that if you think about what you learned up through almost like eighth grade, right? Um, a lot of it was like math, like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and basic algebra, right? Um, phonics, like reading, right? Um, you know, I think reading comprehension can also be tested in person. Um, you know, science, uh, just basics of the sort of core curriculum of elementary and middle school, I don't think like necessarily is going to be substituted for by like, oh, I need to dump an essay prompt into ChatGPT, right? I mean, I think like, I think ChatGPT is obviously super good at the like 
give me a five paragraph essay about Jane Eyre and like what the various symbolisms, you know, in chapter four are or whatever, right? It's, it's incredibly good at that. But that's sort of like a n- pretty narrow subset of what I would consider like almost all education all the way up to the college level. So I think that if you can give people private instruction on how to add, you know, or like, you know, really basic phonics and reading comprehension and grammar and sentence structure and, you know, science, geology, whatever, like all this stuff that you learn, especially under the fifth or eighth grade level, I think it's hard to imagine we couldn't make really, really big gains in that area. And, you know, especially if you look at the United States where we fall short, a lot of it's just like making sure everyone reads really well by a certain age, right? And and I think AI could be pretty helpful there, particularly with voice and audio as like a multimodal experience, not just text. I'm yeah. going to offer a provocative one. I think, uh, <laughs> have, have you read the book Bullshit Jobs or like this cla- class read, of tasks? read a review of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I dismissed it out of hand. No, I yeah, mean, exactly. I, <laughs> I would think you'd be sort of, ta- you'd buy it. I mean, the idea is, you know, that there are a ton of white collar jobs mostly that exist to sort of just move things around, don't create real value. Like a lot of, I mean, corporate corporate law, I think is like a key one. Some of HR, you know, just a lot of where where is the real value versus just imposing a tax on a system uh, that both sides have to pay. Um, I mean, to I think sort of not top tier marketing necessarily, but I think the sort of low tier marketing is obviously a case uh, that I put in this bullshit jobs category, where it's sort <laughs> of it's somewhat derivative, you know, like. You really don't need to, you know, hopefully artists are coming up with many of the original ideas. And so you're trying to sort of be in touch with culture and pull something. Um, what, what do you mean exactly by low tier marketing, I guess? Because like, I'd well, I just to, mean, yeah, like, like, you, what, you know, what, people are, you know, just I think obviously like, I mean, I, I'm, I think there will be an AI Super Bowl ad, but I would put that in sort of a sure it will Wait, be a, like the creativity of it. But you but know I mean, that's going to be reviewed by a human, right? I mean, like if there's an AI Super Bowl. But I'm just, ad, right? I'm yeah, saying, yeah. like, okay, like, somebody's like, I'm putting up a website for our company, and we need to mm-hmm. explain all this stuff. And you read all that copy, and it's just like, this is like, no, nobody paid somebody who's like great at writing to do something novel. They're like, what does website copy <laughs> look like? What does our company do? Let yeah. it, let's create website copy for us and so then if that's your standard of what you want you just want to have a website that has things that are not wrong Mm -hmm. i think chat gpt and other similar products will be able to deliver that yeah i think you're right i just would push back so i probably would have like fully agreed with you like five years ago but now 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 having now now having run a now having run a startup (laughs) and and experienced a lot of these things that people consider to be bullshit jobs i think the thing that you maybe don't realize having been like close to the metal on like putting up a website or whatever is there is actually quite a lot of people in the world who will sell you the service of putting up a generic website that will do a pretty bad job like a worse job than you're describing as a sort of like you know, an AI quality or a a low tier quality output, right? People will like literally not even deliver at all, or they will deliver something that's like grammatically just incomprehensible, or they will deliver something that's grammatically comprehensible, but really quite bad and does not describe what the product does. So you will encounter like just a staggering number (laughs) of services. People that this could cover is much larger than I I'm saying that, but I'm saying in the end, like the leverage point ends up being like the person who can look at the really bad version of it and be like, 
well, actually, there's like a mid-tier version of this that we could just get an AI to do, right? And and go get the AI to do it and then decide that that's actually good enough for, for showbiz to go on the website, right? right. So I'm just saying like, I, I think that... Um, I think that, that the humans can always sort of move up the stack, I guess, you know, until we get to super intelligence or whatever. But like where the, the key the key job is deciding what is like good enough output, not like creating good enough output in many cases, I guess I would say. I, I mean, like, a, and yeah. a core question to me is like from what you're just saying there is does AI make dumb people smarter or smart people higher leveraged like in the most brutal way like is it and it's not just smart and dumb but like in your case it's like does it help the person with taste do a ton of jobs Mm -hmm. or does it help have the person with sort of poor taste or like bad execution skills but maybe they know it's not good and therefore they can do better like i think a lot of the takes have been it helps sort of the the person who needs more help yeah, uh, but there's also this argument that it's scaling people. I think it's different on taste, I guess, but I do think the early academic research that's coming out is showing that I think they gave it to lawyers who were in in law school basically and they let them use it on their tests essentially and it did it so they had a curve, you know, everybody kind of knew what their grades were going into the AI assisted test basically and it did pull up the bottom half of the curve quite a lot and then the top half of the curve maybe a little bit, but not a huge impact. So at least in the law, and I don't know if this will be different in more, you know, different types of fields, more creative fields versus more structured fields. It's it's a little bit hard to predict, but in the case with the law where there's sort of clear right and wrong answers and there's a value in having massive text digestion machine, essentially, which is what these LLMs are, right? It, It seemed like it was helping the bottom of the curve substantially more than it was giving like a ton of leverage to the top of the curve. I would also add there this kind of reminds me of an anal- analogy with GPS. I forget who's who brought, said this originally, but we went from an uh a, an era where we were to navigate, we had someone maybe in the passenger seat just pulling out maps and you know they could actually help navigate in natural language and you know get you to where you wanted to go um or you had to pull over and you know pull out the maps yourself. And then we went to GPS and the navigation at first got, was actually worse than having another person <laughs> just look like a human look at the maps. Um, but it did make on the whole, like a lot of more convenient trips. You could just, you know, throw on the navigation. Uh, similar with early call centers, like it was nice to when you, originally it was all humans. You just talk to them and you get customer support. And then with call center automation, many, many more firms could create call centers, but they were way worse. Like you couldn't get the answer that you wanted. And um, that, you know, was frustrating for consumers. And I think we're going to see something very similar here with AI Hmm. that um, just like Max was saying, like AI can write spam emails like for sales, like those emails are going to be way worse than a human writing a spam sales email. And you're going to get way more of them. So overall, our lives as startup founders for now might get worse because we're getting (laughs) <laughs> 10 times as much spam email and trying to sell us stuff. Um, but on net, maybe that's good for the economy or something. Like more firms can use uh, spam email tactics to sell products. So I, I think that a lot of times that the the technology creates the ability to scale things that weren't scalable before, but on net makes that experience with the customer worse. And I think we're going to start seeing that. 
Hmm. And that that might go because it's market, so much that cheaper go, to do. So much that might go for website copy too. Like the, it'll be way easier to throw up a website on on the internet, but the average website quality will go down because right. the writing will be worse, and anyone will have the ability to put a website up and code it with AI. And yeah, I, I think I don't expect that to like raise the quality of the average website. That ties into Max's tutor point, right? I mean, it, it's democratization. It makes something that was expensive, private tutoring, cheaper, and possibly the original quality is lower, but way more people yeah. can access it. One, one last point on the website topic, actually. There's just a very funny story I experienced where I talked to an investor, and he said one company in his portfolio had used GPT to create 8 million websites, 8 million web pages, essentially, that were all meant to essentially attract Google search traffic, essentially. And then they would use the how many clicks those various pages got to like decide what the next thing is that they should work on or the next thing they should create as their company. So essentially, like, yeah, they were very early on this, like, we're going to just like absolutely just like carpet bomb any keyword imaginable that is remotely related to the business and then figure out where the user traffic is and essentially use it as like a honeypot or whatever to see where the traffic is and then that's what we're going to build next and so i think your idea specifically of just the number of spam websites going through the roof clearly is is either happening or going to happening yeah Yeah, i mean is going to be a huge part of and, and Google search is really going to have to deal with this. Like, how do we deal with the fact that it's now become, you know, three orders of magnitude cheaper to create a crappy website? And how do we yep. filter through that with Google search? I feel like a theme that's emerging on this podcast already is the idea that AI is going to be at war with itself. Like, it's going to bring <laughs> improvements, but it's also, it'll make it easier for spammers. But we have to hope that Gmail also gets better at filtering them out. And that to some degree... There's going to be sort of a back and forth there. And that if, if that works out well, you know, that will, that will be for the best. I mean, even spammers, I mean, in James's GPS analogy, like the end point is that they have to write good spam that is compelling to you and that, that that's a winner rather than just living in sort of the shitty spam era forever. Yeah, but I think the spam email example is is important here because they can annoy 99% of people who won't convert but if it helps convert any extra one percent of people then that's a win for that company right it could be 99.99 i mean it could be one out of it could be one out of ten thousand of these emails convert or a hundred like on spam eric you are naively optimistic (laughs) Uh, sweet all right uh we i am interviewing joshua browder at do not pay uh so stick around and give that a listen Joshua Browder, CEO of Do Not Pay. Welcome uh, to the Cerebral Valley podcast. Thank you, Eric, for having me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> you've had such a great journey. I think some people might be familiar, you know, just from Twitter following it. But can you talk about, you know, I want to in this conversation really focus on what Do Not Pay is doing in AI. But like, you've got such a great journey. If you could just give a little bit of the sketch of how you get into this world of helping people fight you know bills traffic tickets everything yeah and then how how that sort of evolves into this sort of generative ai world sure so um i'm the founder of a company called do not pay and do not pay as an ai legal agent so 
there are so many areas in life where people are being ripped off um, from parking tickets to not being able to cancel their subscriptions to junk fees. And no one has time to wait on hold for five hours to argue over $12. And so that's a really good job for AI and software. I started the company six years ago with templates. Um, when I moved from England, I got a bunch of parking tickets. Um, I was a terrible driver. And I realized if you know the right things to say, you can get out of your tickets. You, you were speeding or you're just putting, you're putting your car wherever? Or? Uh, in the UK, uh, test, they don't test how to do parallel parking. So I wasn't particularly good at that skill, especially on the other side of the road. Hey, um, listen, I grew up in Macon, yeah. Georgia. You did not. I failed the par parallel parking part of my test. I didn't know you only had like three tries to try and get it in. But I didn't, you know, you could pass without without succeeding on that portion. Anyway, yeah. So uh, um, I, I think in the that. UK test they do have it, but it's random. And I got another random one that was really easy. I think my one was a three point turn, which I can do. Um, in any case, so I created the first version of Do Not Pay. I looked at the top twelve reasons from Freedom of Information Act requests um, of why parking tickets are dismissed. Built templates around that, and really just built it for fun. And I could never have imagined that. America and the UK and the world would hate parking tickets and it would go viral. And this made me realize that this idea of automating consumer rights is bigger than just tickets. And I should work on other areas of fighting back. So what fast year is forward, the parking tickets thing? 2015, 2016. Okay. So I was a yep. freshman at Stanford. And at first and, it's not yeah. automated at all. Like you're doing it personally yourself and people are like asking you for favors. Is that what gets you into sort of automating things in the first place? Or had you been a sort of in other domains trying to, to do automated stuff. Yeah, just from a time perspective, people were asking me, and I was in uh, Google Docs back then, copying and pasting letters. And I just <laughs> built it, made it automated because too many people were asking me. Um, and word had, a rumor had spread that I was the guy who could help people with parking tickets. And that's not a good rumor to have about you because everyone will bother you. And so right. I just built it out of necessity, really. When does it become a company? So in 2016, 2017, um, I was very lucky. Andreessen Horowitz uh, invested a million into the pre-seed round. I still didn't know, have any business model or anything like that. But I guess it became a company legally at that point. But it was really on 2019, 2020 that I actually started charging. So I just saw it as a free public service until I started charging. I did it not to do a startup or make money, but because I like helping people fight back. I like think it's so unjust, all of these big corporations and governments. And so I was more mission-activism-driven, mission and that's proven by like five years of no business model. A good crusade is important. You know, I, yeah. you can uh, get investors to give you money to go on a crusade. What's better than that? Uh, the, uh, I mean, the, the rise of ChatGPT foundation models, I, I, I can guess that a key value for you is that it can generate like demand letters uh, on its own. Like what have been the pieces of large language models that have been most useful so far uh, for do not pay? Really, it's synchronous responses. So in the realm of what we can fight back, parking tickets is asynchronous. You generate a letter, send it off and wait three weeks. But there are some things that you need to do synchronously. So for example bill disputes. So one way you can dispute your Comcast bill is you log in and you go into online chat and you negotiate with them for an hour on online chat. That is a great job for AI because it doesn't give up. And better yet, if 
the agent denies the request, you can just start a new chat. And that's what we have bots doing. So they just keep trying, keep pushing until we get a bill reduced. So synchronous is one and not giving up, I think, are, are two. And also being but, dynamic. Yeah. But not the letters itself? Or are, are you using it for sort of demand so, letters? So the um, contents of the letter, we want to kind of pre-craft, but really it's about the communication surrounding that. It doesn't hmm. really differ from person to person. So for example, the top reason why people get out of tickets is the poor signage. We've all seen those memes on Twitter of like five signs saying the opposite thing on top of each other or a tree covering the sign. So the substance of the defense doesn't really change with AI, but the way you can communicate it does. Well, um, you have a person who has to figure out the, the argument. Um, yeah, um, uh, to build the kind of system and then, and then AI can go back and forth communicate right. it. And I, I'm not trying, you know, I guess for context, for the listener, you had this whole, you know, we'll be your lawyer, period. Or can you talk about where sort of the legal and policy realm has been something you've run into and sort of the quest to operate as like an attorney, basically, and the protectionism that you found in that uh, tr crusade? Yeah, so consumer rights is completely un underserved. There's not um, a lawyer who will get out of bed to help you with your parking ticket, which is our first use case, or bill disputes or any of this, especially in-flight Wi-Fi refunds, which are literally $30. Hmm. Um, so when, oh yeah, I've had that yeah. where the Wi-Fi goes down and then you have to like, yeah. you're like, you didn't give me a service. Like, how can you charge me a bazillion dollars? And then exactly. it's hard to exactly. ask for the refund because you don't have Wi-Fi. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great job. Um, I, there was a time for about two months at the beginning of this year where I wanted to actually bring chat GPT into the courtroom. And I got a lot of pushback from that, from, uh, <laughs> from the judges and regulators because which i love that. to be clear yeah. supporter 100 percent on this podcast yeah. anyway go ahead and because um it's nice to help people online but if you can actually go into court you can uh go into even more advanced areas and they push back right. so hard that i thought i'm not getting any pushback with consumer rights everyone hates comcast even the lawyers do right and so it's best to just stick to the underserved area to help people the provocative fight you know like i'm going to be your lawyer you know, you get PR attention out of it, but then, yeah, you bring down the regulatory heat. So there's a double edge sword there. I mean, I get the, the philosophical issue here, or like there, there just like the sense that there are systems at war against the consumer, right? Like a Comcast, you know, can think about the process and then you are an individual not teamed up with other consumers sort of fighting with your arms tied behind your back. And, and similarly, you know, I think part of the threat to the legal system is that this would expose that it's sort of a system of repeat actions that happen over and over again in slight adjustments and even lazy ones, you know, lazy and, you know, that it's a computer, not like some person uh, could have a big, big change. So talk about, you know, how this is sort of going up against these systems on behalf of the consumer. My most optimistic view of AI is it will end dark patterns. So right now we have this problem in society of concentrated benefit, but spread out harm. So what I mean by that is Planet Fitness can make it super hard to cancel and charge 10 million people $30. They make a 300 million, uh, but um, the average person is only getting $30 taken out of their account. So they find it very difficult to fight back. 
And with Planet Fitness specifically, in most gyms, you have to actually sign a physical legal letter and mail it to cancel. Insanity. And so all of these hoops that, that these big companies make you jump through, AI can jump through it because it doesn't require a salary and doesn't have a, anything to do. So you can get it to do that. And then all of these kind of systems that prevent people from take, fighting for their rights um, can, can go through. Another example is privacy. Um, there's an amazing law in California, the California Consumer Privacy Act, but it's largely been a failure because no one really has exercised their rights. The, the law says that you can request to delete your data or not sell your data, but no one has time to fill in all the forms. We have AI go in, send a thousand requests to every data broker on behalf of consumers. So I think AI will really help level the playing field and give power back to ordinary people to fight this concentrated benefit problem. So you, can you talk about like the mechanics of using AI? Like, is this ChatGPT or what are you finding right now that's the most useful to you? So we're mainly using the GPT-4 API. Um, so for example, with Comcast, what's interesting is they're also using AI. So the two AIs are sometimes <laughs> chat chatting it. with each other to negotiate. They're already at war, yeah. Yeah. And it feels like we're making so much progress every few weeks and months with uh, the new releases. So the two, so the biggest was when GPT-3 upgraded to GPT-4, it became a much better negotiator. So with GPT-3, Comcast would be like, okay, I'll give you $20 off your bill. Um, and GPT-3 would say, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Now GPT-4 says, no, that's not enough. I want $100 or I'm going to cancel right now. <laughs> right. And it, it does these high stakes negotiations that I don't think previous AI models were capable of. And then the thing I'm really excited about now is the multimodal stuff. Um, AI is not useful unless it can interact with the world and being able to send it images and um, all sorts of different media, uh, PDFs as well. Um, is really helpful, especially in the legal context. So you can imagine it looking at like a parking bay and saying that parking bay is not to code, which is why I should get out of my ticket. So that's right. all the stuff we're working on I, right now. I, you sort of explained this in the answer, but multimodal, just like putting in text yeah. and images into the same system, not totally separate systems so that it could, like you're saying, process a photo and then respond in text to it. How much are you saying... OpenAI is the expert at ChatGPT. Like they're going to keep improving it. A general language model is just going to be better than anything we're doing. Versus the idea that like you are now specialized in this use case of like consumer defense, and therefore you should like train a model on those interactions. Like how do you think about how much to sort of fine tune or build your own language model? I, I think the um the kind of sweet spot is you have these kind of big commercial models and then you fine tune them. So what we do is we feed it like successful cases and, and existing letters that we think are good. And that In kind each of navigates answer, it. Like every yeah. time yeah. you're yeah. like, here are the models of the good ones. And then. Yeah. Me, yeah. Yeah. Like here, here's an example. Um, so when we were doing our courtroom stuff, um, we didn't, we, uh, open AI is so valuable to our business. We didn't want to get banned by doing this controversial <laughs> oh, I stunt. See. Smart, and interesting. So, and so, and so, uh, we said uh, we were going to use an open source model, and so we had to go deep on the open source ones to get it to work. And it feels like it's like seventy five percent, eighty percent of the way there at this point. The open source models. So I'm very confident that they'll continue to improve, and it will always be at that level. So I'm a big believer in open source. 
And and there are going to be things, if you want to have a big impact, there are going to be things that are quote unquote against the rules. So you, you will have to use an open source model to do some interesting Man, stuff. Uh, yeah. You're fighting for the consumer, but you're, there's already sort of the status control. I mean, under, it makes sense. Like, you know, OpenAI doesn't want to be exposed to your sort of niche, like principled fight, even though uh, they probably should. Yeah. That's super interesting. How, which... um. Which open source models have you been using? Like, which ones do you see the most promise in? Um, Meta's one is good. Uh, we in January we're using GPTJ. Yeah, um, GPTJ is is good at holding a conversation if you kind of fine tune it enough. So that that's what we were using to power the courtroom stunt. Hmm. And is it expensive on ChatGPT just like to build a business around it? Like, how how much are you paying? Um, we're paying tens of thousands every month. I would say that for us, it makes sense. We're a subscription model. We're fortunate to have a lot of subscribers and a subscription is a great business model. Um, there are some things everyone, they don't do these great demos on Twitter, but we're thinking as a do not pay team, this would never work if it wasn't in the do not pay business model. So one example is every, every few months, someone comes up with an idea of um, chat GPT scanning websites for terms and conditions whether it's good uh good terms and conditions or bad and probably each scan maybe costs two cents or something along those lines one or two cents um i don't think that's something consumers would pay for imagine if you're being charged two cents every website or you visit so there would be a great browser feature like chrome's like you know it's like how with a credit card you get yeah a bunch of features you could imagine someone paying for like a browser if it's like one of the things we do is we say this has really aberrant like terms and conditions, so we should, you know, that would be an interesting company. Yeah, it, it would. But so we have two hundred products, and from my experience, it seems like consumers care most about getting money back. That's right. the number one thing. <laughs> Privacy, they do, they do care about. There are certain niches of people, but the mass market people are just trying to get by every day, right? And so it it, it would have to be very cheap for them. Do you get it? Have you found any ways to get a percentage of the money you save people? Um, we think it's unfair. So Equinox is $300 a month. We help people cancel Equinox subscriptions. We could. There are some companies that say, we've helped you cancel your Equinox subscription. We've saved you $3,600. Right. We're going to take 20% of that. Right. And we believe that business model is not actually consumer friendly. Right. We'd rather, and we have a hundred percent success rate with canceling Equinox. We'd rather just mm. charge a fifteen dollars a month subscription. We'd rather just charge the subscription. How would you judge like the intelligence of ChatGPT and the open source models based on what you've seen? You, you've talked about, you know, oh, like wow, it can really start to like make threats and like say, yeah. okay, this is a final. Like, you know, you see a ton of this now, like. Does it feel like super rote and it has the same playbook or does this feel like something with intelligence to you? It's extremely intelligent. Um, from a legal standpoint, GPT-3 was not so impressive. It would make very basic mistakes like mix up the defendant and the plaintiff <laughs> and all of this stuff. Right. Um, GPT-4, those mistakes have disappeared. Um, my biggest worry with it is just like, just like humans, it's almost too intelligent. So it gets on the verge of manipulative. So hmm. those who can use it um, face liability from it potentially lying. Um, I think there's a like, difference between hallucinating and lying. So with lying, if the goal in the prompt is like, I want to get a discount on my bill, it will say things like, I've had four outages in the past week. 
Oh Even no, that's not true. Oh my and god. So, so we've had to kind of build guardrails about around it in the prompt, and also we even have another kind of pseudo AI model on top of it. And the prompt says like, stick to the facts, stick to the provided information. Huh. So, because we have liability, we we can't have it lying on behalf of people. Um, that's not good. We're responsible for that. So, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, the distinction between hallucinations, where it's just it's just confused basically in line where it knows that it's a tactical move. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, there is, you know, there's an argument that it doesn't have enough information. Like, you know, it, because it, right. You know that you could face like legal consequences. Um, yeah, that's a fascinating one. Uh, are there cases, I mean, people, consumers do lie to these companies sometimes when they try and get out yeah. of it. Are, are there cases where you're okay with, where that's allowed or you basically have to be a hundred percent factual. I, I think you can be aggressive. So you can say, I'm not happy with the service. It barely works. Things like that. Opinions. But you don't want to be op opinions. Um, I'm going to cancel tomorrow and maybe they're the only internet company in the area. So right. you, you can't cancel, <laughs> but right. <laughs> um, so, so those things I'm comfortable with, but right. Specific concrete details. We, we, we don't feel comfortable doing it. Um, we, we have our own, we have some of the best lawyers that do not pay that we've hired ironically and, and we're, we're trying to stay in compliance. So right. they help us a lot. Are you going to go back into the legal realm at any point or are you, you sticking to fighting companies? Um, or I well, guess you fight companies of, in yeah. the legal realm. Yeah. In the legal, right. so there's a lot of interesting stuff that we're working on now that's definitely in the legal realm, but it's focused on helping consumers with their everyday issues. So one thing that I'm really excited about is um, everyone has money lying out there from class action settlements. There's like $20 here, oh my God, $50 yeah. there, because if right. you're a customer of Macy's a few years ago, um, so we've built like a bot that will go through your emails, figure out which uh, companies uh, you're owed class action settlements for and just claim the money. So that's hmm. squarely in the legal realm. But once again, it's underserved and it's just helping ordinary people. We're not trying to help defend people from murder, um, although that would be, we're not Sam Bankman-Fried's trials today. <laughs> we, we can't help Sam Bankman-Fried, but we can help uh, ordinary people who are, don't have these complicated issues in their lives. How much, how much do you use AI, ChatGPT, any of this in your personal life? Like you're someone who likes to automate your problems. Yeah. To what extent have you found it useful outside of your company? My company is just me trying to scale myself. And so almost all our products start with either me or another team actually doing this in their personal life. Um, so one example is I built a bot that phoned up Wells Fargo on my behalf and I actually created a voice model of myself hmm. and it negotiated with Wells Fargo to get some bank fees back. We decided not to make that into a product for a variety of reasons, mainly to actually make it a working product. You need to record what they're saying and transcribe it so the AI knows what to say back. And there's lots of federal wiretapping laws hmm. and state wiretapping laws. And so we couldn't make that a product, but it was helpful for me. Another example is I, using Plaid, I connected ChatGPT to my bank account and I got it to come up with different ways I could save money so that wow. we could build do not pay products around that. So I'm definitely a guinea pig every day for these AI technologies, which is, I, love, I like to say I live the do not pay lifestyle. Um, I'm always fighting back. Is it always, 
It feels like ChatGPT looms super large. I mean, there is this question of whether open source models or Google Gemini or what you know, whatever will be sort of competitive. Are are you sort of saying right now that it's ChatGPTs to lose? I would say that the the only reason they would lose is if they restrain themselves too much. I think they're under a lot of pressure. I know lawyers are evil and very greedy, and I think a lot of lawyers are actually going after ChatGPT right now. And they're saying you have to put this disclaimer and that disclaimer and stop doing this and stop doing that. And then the AI will just not be useful. And then there'll be like some foreign company where the US users can use the API that might uh, overtake it. I I think we're on the verge of like society collapsing from all the new regulations and lawyers. Um, And so I do think there's a real danger around that. Yeah, just the sort of regulatory legal state gets to it. Uh, That creates sort of an opening for the unregulated uh, open source world. Um, so so I, I can give you a concrete example, actually. Yeah. So one one area I used ChatGPT was I actually connected my credit report to ChatGPT. Um, and I asked it to like dispute things on my behalf. And then I recently tried to do it again and they, I got all these disclaimers and it wouldn't uh. even let me. So they're definitely trying to, all these high, high risk areas, one by one, they're kind of foreclosing on them and stopping useful implementations do you you know do you think it's like yeah white collar workers are better at uh being luddites and protecting their jobs that and they're happy to let sort of factory workers jobs be automated it's like lawyers protecting their jobs or it's just sort of paranoia or what do you think motivates um this the white collar workers are definitely going to put up a fight um with the um actors guild i know in their Right. Uh, sorry, the Screenwriters Guild, they right. put in their contract that they can use the AI, but the studios can't, which seems seems a bit unbalanced. Um, lawyers are the ones who write the rules, and so, of course, they have an advantage. Um, I know a lot of state legislatures are passing AI laws. I think Utah was, was the latest. They have a few AI bills coming up. It feels to me like we are going to get to a place where we each have our own sort of bots. Like, the advantage being... Yeah. It knows the facts. Like I trust it to be in my bank account. It sort of has the the data advantage on me that it has the full picture. Sort of train the personality around what I how I like to interact with people. You know, a bazillion reasons. Do you see that as a threat to you? You know, you're in some ways like specialized around a set of tasks. But if if you're going to yeah. be, do you think you'll be competing against a different model where it's all about the person and therefore they do a lot of stuff? We've, we've thought about this for a while because consumer rights, what, what happens if um, Google just build an assistant that do all your consumer rights for you? And, and you're right, it should be just part of a super assistant. Fortunately, we are so anti-authority that we're willing to do things to help people that they love that big companies won't. Um, I imagine that Comcast is a huge advertiser on Google, and so they're not trying to be too adversarial. And so we think of things like adversarial AI. So plugins is a great example when chat gpt released plugins a lot of people when we thought is comcast going to build a plugin to lower your bill or or planet fitness going to build a plugin to cancel your subscription from chat gpt and i think the answer is obviously no because it's adversarial and so this adversarial kind of use case helps us um i i think what's going to happen is there'll be these niche application layer on top of these general assistant for these specialized areas that require either a different brand or 
some specialized expertise that Google is not willing to take on. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Do you have anything like sort of the general assistant or how much time are you spending getting a single AI with enough memory to keep track of all of your your information? Well, so we have chatbots that talk to our consumers and our consumers what expect jokes. They 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 <laughs> talk to it about irrelevant right. issues. So we have thought a lot about the general use case and we want to make it entertaining. Um, eventually we have a kind of, we draw the line and it says, I'm, I'm actually an AI legal assistant. So please right. can we like stick to that topic? Yeah. But we, we have a few jokes in there. But do you like when you're doing the plaid integration yeah. with your bank account or credit report, is that all synced yeah. up? Like, do you sort of either through a prompt say, hey, here's everything we've done together in the past or like try to buy extra memory in some way, use the API to like, how much are you trying to like tie yeah. different tasks so, of yours together in one sort of prompt? Well, I guess there's two ways to do it. So you can either have a very large context window and I think Anthropics right now is the biggest. And so that's really exciting. Or you can build like these auto GPT implementations where it's one task after another. Right. Um, we, we've gone the auto GPT route, so it's like incremental. Um, and I, I think that's the solution. But hopefully there's like what, uh, one day there'll be this AI with this massive context window. And then that will make things so much easier for us. With, with the auto GPT, you know, it, it can be, yeah. it feels like a, they need to have some response every time. It's like very hard to just say, here's some information, just say, okay, and then let me give you more information. Like, is it a problem that it always seems to want to be completing some task with every answer? Um, if, if it's very discreet and you've really kind of narrowed it, I, I've seen it work. So we've used it. It goes on the government website. And if, the, if uh, say you move address and you're owed a check and they can't, the big companies can't reach you, they just send it to the government. And so it becomes an unclaimed money. So we've built an auto GPT bot that checks for unclaimed money. And the reason we have to use auto GPT rather than just like Selenium or defined scraping is because the, the web page changes. Hmm. And what we found is it can be useful and actually it's pretty successful at that use case. But if you said to auto GPT, order me a pizza, the website will say like, which topping do you want? And then auto GPT will be stuck. So. Huh. If a discrete task is good, but the more open end, I think we are a long way from general AI assistant, maybe like a few years, which which is not that long, but right. it's not like tomorrow. Right. Have you do you have you gotten a taste of where ChatGPT is headed, or do you have you seen many beta products, or what do you do you think the rate of improvement is going to slow down a lot after uh, the current model? I, I do. I think the current. Um, we have a, like a million applications waiting to be built. The do not pay team is even swamped in our use case. Um, and so I think the next year or two is going to be really exciting with these AI applications being introduced to every product. You're but like, we're going to get just, better, but the models maybe aren't. Yeah. Well, not just us, but the whole market. Right, right, right. I think we'll build incredible things. You'll see sales tools, all of this stuff, customer right. service, phone lines. Um, but it's just a statistical model at the end of the day. And what worries me is that I think GPT-4 is at the limit of the number of parameters. I'm not sure how many more parameters and data they can feed in. <laughs> They've sucked so in everything there is to know. Yeah, they, yeah, they sucked in everything. That is to know. So I think there has to be a fundamental breakthrough with how these models are designed, which hasn't happened yet. I, I think it will happen because there's so much money flowing into the space, as you know. But 
Um, it's not like it's where it's secretly been done and just hasn't been released yet. But right. may, maybe that's above my pay grade, but I, I don't know of that. And I don't think that's happened. What, what do you make of the politeness of ChatGPT? Or I, I find one of the big weaknesses yeah. just like how insufferably polite it is. Like, I, I think I said this on an earlier episode, but, you know, I beg it to behave like George Carlin or something. It, it feels like impossible. And it's funny, you know, given you're sort of trying to teach it to be this like against the system sort of, it yeah. seems like person is, its personality is not disposed towards that type of behavior. Or how do you how do you address that? And like, why do you think that's happening? This is a big issue for us. So in our prompt, we definitely say you imagine you're an aggressive uh, lawyer that the know that, that doesn't care about being polite. I have to get the exact prompt for consumers. They have to they you can put in your own kind of general prompt for the entire chat GPT. And there are some amazing examples on Twitter and some of them are like, don't be polite, don't apologize, don't say you're an AI, right. don't caveat it with any disclaimers or warnings. And that seems to have worked for people. So I would recommend that as well. Yeah, I need to put it, because I'll put it in the actual text in yeah. the beginning and it'll still apologize. And then I'll say, what was the number th one thing I told you not to do? And it'll, rem you know, be, it'll know it's, I said not to apologize, but then it won't implement it. It can be sort of inscrutable. I don't know how it prioritizes requests. It, it could be good. Maybe the OpenAI program that because not not being polite is a very harmless request, but people might want to jailbreak it. So they're probably trying to build all these uh, barriers to jailbreaking it. Yeah. W when you write an email, like is ChatGPT yeah. involved? Or like in sort of what day-to-day -day tasks, like where... How much are you bringing AI or is it mostly around the things your company does where it's sort of, you know, yeah, consumer defense? I think in kind of communication, um, people can tell. I think there's this insult going around. We heard it during the debates. Um, I, I think Chris Christie said to Vivek, you sound just like chat GPT. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's, a, that's an insult. And I can definitely tell. Um, I have a family member. She asked me for my help. She's writing something important. And I and she said, I use ChatGPT. And I said, I can tell. Right. So I, I try and not use ChatGPT when I'm writing an email to people because I think it's so inauthentic and, and they can definitely tell. I do use it in other areas of my life. I was playing pickleball with my friends and I asked ChatGPT to create a pickleball tournament for like 12 people hmm. and do matches. And it does things like that very well. But if I was speaking to someone, I would never use it at the moment. It's good for transactional tasks, like negotiating a bill, although I'm biased saying that. But it's definitely not good sending um, really high-stakes communication where personal touch is needed. In the broadest terms, like the difference between it being an assistant to an accountant-type person versus being an accountant, you know, just being the agent itself versus supporting people. What's, what's your general view on how close we are to... This is like a total AI problem with maybe a light human supervision versus just continuing to help professionals who bring in the AI to support, you know, their professional work. A few weeks ago, I asked ChatGPT to add up 10 numbers and it got the answer wrong. So <laughs> not close, <laughs> no, no special, just literally 10 numbers. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's actually not very good at math. People don't realize this, but it, it's good at language, but not necessarily math. Right. Um, so I think there's going to be software tools where ChatGPT makes the experience amazing, um, like Kick, 
which is an accounting software for small businesses. I know they're using a lot of chat GPT. I think accountants will use it, but given that it can't even add up 10 numbers on its own, I wouldn't trust it with my taxes yet. Yeah. If it can't add, does that mean it really can't reason? You know, there's there's an argument that, well, it's just like, it knows the end you want. Like, get out of this deal with Comcast yeah. or whatever. And it knows what text that might, you know, get it to that end looks like. But it it's ta- do you think it has like a through line of any sort of reasoning in its strategy? When you ask it something, it goes into its model and it says, based on all of human literature and all these parameters, what's the most likely next response? Right. And so if you ask it to add up numbers, it finds some mass training data somewhere and it just thinks oh okay well based on all the training data this is the the next response but that's not reasoning that's just picking picking something on a statistical model and so that's why it can write a beautiful poem but it can't reason to add up 10 numbers yeah but do you think it's reasoning in the poem writing or it's just good at (laughs) sort of mimicking in a very sophisticated way it's it's good at picking, so it just has a, such a big option. It can just pick and and throw things together. I think it's just really good at picking. It's definitely not reasoning at the moment. Um, in the accounting context, though, one I'll give you a ex- concrete example of why it's useful. Um, previously, and we do not pay had this problem. There would be like a thousand transactions that you would get from Plaid or manually entered, and you would, it would, every transaction would be different. There'd be no kind of reason to them. You can like trans- characterize the transactions. So you could say, oh, uh, PLNP is Planet Fitness or, or something like that. Or this is a business expense or this is travel expense. So that's where I see it being useful in the accounting context. But I don't think it's going to be adding numbers. Do you, do you have any friends in the AI world where it feels like... like I, I'm interested in this question of like... AI, uh, you know, just almost like a computer you build at home, right? Before, you know, sort of the mainstream computer is available, people sort of cobbling together a super, you know, a powerful computer of their own based on what they get access to. Do you think that sort of is happens in a meaningful way? Or the reality is that just like purpose built, like ChatGPT, MidJourney, whatever, are the best at what they do. So people are just using these obvious tools like do you is there a real like are you seeing people get their own memory and blah 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 to to sort of have an advantage over what's publicly available it's not simple enough for consumers to rely on ai just with chat gpt i i agree with your theory that they have to build their own computer it's not even just about the ai ai as i mentioned is useless if it's not connected to the real world so how do you connect ai with apis Right. So um, one thing I do is I connect ChatGPT to the mail because it, language through mail is one way you can get things done. And I use the Lob API to do that. Hmm. And so you have to find E-mail a way to or connect Lob. Old-fashioned mail? Old-fashioned mail. <laughs> so in the legal world, you know, it's a stone age. You still have to right. send mail to get things done. Some of these disputes are over mail. How do you get ChatGPT to send a physical letter? Right. And that's through the Lob API. Similarly, how do you get ChatGPT to make a phone call? Twilio API. The building your computer is plugging in all of these janky APIs so that the language can get through. Um, And then also there's this open source component with the gatekeeping. So 
it all ties together. On its own, just having an interface where you can send and receive chat is not that useful. It only right. begins to be useful when it can be an agent in the real world. And I, I think if there is one AI law we should pass, we should pass a law that says that AI can be an agent on your behalf right. to help people. Fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't your your dad is like a you know has that connection to the Russian lawyer? Yeah, isn't it, are, don't, yeah. don't you have a like very pro uh, lawyer background? Or I'm curious your uh, your view on how your view on lawyers has developed, or where where you see the the role for them. I think that there are a lot of amazing lawyers out, including the ones that help us and human rights lawyers um, that my family's very involved with, like fighting back against Russia. I also think that there are lawyers on billboards that charge people a lot of money for doing very little. And I think that it, with AI, hopefully it will replace them and make their services free and accessible for people. Um, I was in Vegas a few weeks ago and there are so many lawyer billboards and I hope AI will <laughs> replace all of them. What, just given how much you see and like you interact with a lot of these other companies, like what, what do you think will happen in the next five years or like what's your prediction for how all of this plays out or you know just a couple of things you're most excited about the biggest thing i'm excited about is ai going from retroactive to proactive so um a lot of these assistants right, right now you go into chat gpt you say i want this similarly with even do not pay you say i want this uh, my in-flight wi-fi didn't work but these ais are going to be integrated into people's systems so that you just wake up one day and the AI has done something for you overnight. Um, and to get there, there's going to be a, a kind of latency issue so that the AI can do a thousand things to check what it wants to do. A cost thing, it has to be much cheaper because to find out the right thing to do, you have to throw a lot of darts. Um, and then also just a systems integration where Apple will have a kind of probably a local LLM on the device constantly figuring things out. You'll have lots of data integrations with plugin-like API type things that connect to the AI. So I'm really excited. I'm trying to build a world where people wake up and the AI says, I've just saved you $100. I think there'll be situations where the AI will say, maybe you should get your health checked. I am noticing something wrong right. with your blood and, and things like that. And that will really improve quality of life. Do you think the consumer is on your side or... Where, where do you think the regular person is in terms of fear versus excitement here and how that will translate into regulation? Ordinary people love it. Um, the, the only people that don't, I, I think there's a lot of scaremongering going on, um, but I don't think it really touches the ordinary person's experience. People just work really hard. They don't have much time in the day. They're being ripped off across their life. Um, they just need something to help them. Um, right, thank from writing thank you notes to saving the money. I think it's it's mainly beneficial to them. Um, the kind of intellectualization of of the dangers of AI worries me, and that's probably why GPT four got worse. So we we should stop are, doing that. Are you what do you think of the whole like uh you know AI doom and gloom sort of it'll kill us all sort of general intelligence fears like are you do you think we're anywhere close or do you have a strong point of view on that discussion? I think the I think there are a lot of evil people working on AI right now. I've seen this firsthand. Typically with a new technology, it gets in the hands of evil people first. And we actually need to work on AI, accelerate our work on AI 
to fight back against them. They're going to work on it regardless. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a concrete example. So what we're seeing, we, we help people charge back things and fight fraud on their bank. We've even seen a few examples of fraudsters. Um, they phone up, it, they pretend to be someone's relative with a spoof voice. And you can hmm, do that right. right now with just a minute recording. And the way you fight that is you have an AI from the telephone company stopping people or saying, or on your phone, maybe device side, if you don't want the telephone listening, uh, saying, this is not who you think it is um, hmm. because our AI is better and we've, we've detected it. But if we stop work on AI, the criminals outside of the jurisdiction of the United States will still build their technologies, but we just won't have the tools to fight back. So it's never a good idea to stop the progress of technology because the evil people won't, won't stop. Yes, I agree with that. The copyright problem, I, where I'm a little more sympathetic, lots of writers are concerned that these, these uh, large language models have inhaled all their thinking and work to become what they are and that they should be compensated in some way for it. Or what, what do you make of sort of the creator and writer class being worried about what's been built potentially on their backs? I think that um, th there's no practical way of dealing with it. Um, no one knows how these large language models come up with their answers. And so um, perhaps it can list uh, like 10 sources, but ChatGPT, every answer is more than 10 sources. It's a million sources or even a trillion sources. So I, I think if I was to read 10 books and then write a book myself, even if it was inspired by the 10 books, I don't think I should have to compensate the people I read. If I physically copy their work, I do. But if it's just inspired by, I don't, I don't think um, I would have to. I, I know it's a very tough situation, but I don't see any practical way of doing the compensation. Um, fortunately, though, the lawyers have already thought about this, <laughs> and there's like multiple lawsuits, class <laughs> right. action lawsuits against ChatGPT that will play out. I don't want it to be, you know, so costly that it means these things can't come into existence, but if it turns out, you know, large language models are fairly commoditized, we can, you know, people are competitive with ChatGPT, then it would seem like a lot of the core sauces, like the breadth of human intelligence that went into them. And if like, I don't know, especially specific ones were like right in the style of like Stephen King or whatever, you know, he created an iconic style that's extremely valuable. Um, so I, I guess I just don't think it's like, this large long tail for a lot of the stuff. I think it's more likely that there are a few core great things that are being used, you know, for, for a lot of answers and that could be sort of attributed and those people should probably be compensated in some way. If for the rest of human history, you know, those, those answers are going to be a bedrock of, of how these systems answer. Do you disagree? Yeah, with that? but, I, I do. I think there is existing laws on the books to deal with that. So California has this law about right to publicity and likeness, which is completely separate from copyright law. And so if I was to say, write in the style of Stephen King, that would probably violate like his right to publicity if I was to publish a book from ChatGPT writing right. in his likeness. So there there are a kind of... But you asked ChatGPT, every, write yeah. a sci-fi novel. And it's like... It's like based on like five different, you know, I feel like it's based on you yeah. know, the top 10 list of sci-fi authors and then it sort of finds the midpoint between them and gives you, you know, some text. Yeah. Is that another, I mean, another issue is that if I say that that's not copyrighted, I don't even own that work. 
Um, the Copyright Office recently made a ruling that things done purely with generative AI do not qualify for copyright, right. even if it's a thousand prompts. So if I do a mid-journey thing and prompt it a thousand times to fine-tune it, it's still not mine from a copyright perspective. Right. So I, I do think these things have to be changed in some way. What? Sorry, what you want? You want a law change where you get protection if you build something out of, or I'm confused what you're saying there. Um, if if you fine tune the output of um, a large language model, you're not protected with copyright at the moment. Right. So I, I do think that the system is is not built to deal with the AI, and so I'm not arguing that we just do nothing. I think right. there's lots of these nuances, right. but I I do worry that we would just halt technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're saying okay, maybe we need to build it answers some of these specific questions but not not if it's putting yeah. roadblocks i'm curious like the the existing chatbots like the characters of the world like are you are you have you played around with them much like do you think they're they have perpetual value or what's your what's your view on that space at the moment uh we're gonna have ai girlfriends ai people can ai therapists ai friends and people can talk to their favorite characters um i'm a big fan of the show better call soul for obvious reasons, so I was playing around on character AI's mm. Better Call Saul bot. Um, so I think it's it's really important to give people that connection. So I, I'm I'm for it. Um, I don't think it's as big as people think it will be. There, you think it's overhyped? I think that given the kind of modality, it's just text um, at the moment. There's only so much you can do with that. So what once you have like a fully uh, interactive character that you can FaceTime. And I know that those exist, but latency is too big. It doesn't mm. feel completely real. Then, then it gets serious. But until then, I, I don't think people will just spend all their time talking to spots, chatbots, because mm. no, no one likes to do that. You sort of opened the conversation talking about multimodal. Like clearly, that's something yeah. you're excited about. Where, where do you think? How close is that? I mean, you know, OpenAI, I guess, has released something where Dolly and ChatGPT are connected. But can you talk about? what you think the real potential of multimodal is? Um, yeah, GPT-4V, I think, was the most exciting thing around that, where you can upload images and, and PDFs and things like that to, to make it multimodal with the API. Um, if AI is constantly amb ambient listening, it gets back to this kind of proactive approach, which is so exciting. Um, Chat GPT is very powerful, but it doesn't have the data right now. Um, and so uh, another concrete example is the browsing. So right now, the way ChatGPT browsing works is it takes the HTML of the page, ingests that, produces an answer. And that's why it's so time intensive. Multimodal fixes that. In the future, I imagine it takes a screenshot of the page. Right. And then they can put any blockers or any anti-bot things. It doesn't matter. They've taken a screenshot. And so... How we view things is how humans perceive things is through vision. And that's why I think it makes it so powerful because no one can stop vision. Sweet. Joshua Browder, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, this was great. Thanks for having me. That's our episode. Uh, do not pay CEO Joshua Browder. Uh, great conversation about the AI personal stack. Thanks so much uh, to Max Child and James Wilsterman, the Volley co-founders. I'm your host. Eric Newcomer. This episode has been in our Cerebral Valley series on the Newcomer podcast. I'm hosting with Max and James the Cerebral Valley Conference in San Francisco on November 15th. 
This is the second AI conference in a year. You can go back and watch the old videos on our YouTube channel from March. And now, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have another exclusive AI conference, but we're bringing it all to everybody on YouTube. And some of our favorites will go on the podcast feed. Shout out to our producer, Scott Brody, my chief of staff, Riley Kinsella, Gabby Caliendo at Volley, and Young Chomsky for the wonderful theme music. Uh, like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Play a Alexa game. Uh, try song quiz or yes, sire uh, at Volley. And of course, most important, subscribe to the Substack, newcomer.co. Thanks so much. Bye.